Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I'm your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. Well, tonight we are, well, this is the, I could say it this way, this is the beginning of the end for our biblical ethics series. And I say the beginning of the end because this will actually, this final topic will be a two-parter. And, uh, and so we're not going to start Philemon next week, but the week after the plan is to start our series, our brief series in Philemon. But tonight we are beginning to close with our final topic, and the topic that we are going to be looking at tonight is the topic of racial justice. Racial justice. And to do the topic justice, I do, no pun intended, I do need to do it in two parts. But... As we think of this as our final topic, this is actually, I'd argue, a really good bookend to this series. And you might remember we started with LGBTQ issues like homosexuality and transgenderism. And now we're ending with racial justice. And this is a good bookend because next to the LGBT issues, racial justice is probably one of the most, arguably the most relevant topic that is going to be facing you today in, in this culture. And we do see this, for example, I have a slide of a Gallup poll that was taken a few years ago. And in this slide, this shows the perception of race relations in the United States. And if you see this, that the beginning of that is towards the year 2000. And from about 2000 to 2013, it was pretty stable. It started to, to creep up a little bit during the first term of uh, Obama's presidency. And then in the second term of his presidency, right around 2013, it started to take a nosedive. And I'm sure you are all very well aware of some of the outpouring of that, of these deteriorating race relations, primarily in the BLM riots and protests that, t- that took place in 2020 after the death of George Floyd. And, and it's still felt um, quite a bit, and, and very much this issue is starting to affect every area of society. For example, uh, there's an email um, regarding resident assistant training And this is from a university. The text is a little bit small, but let me just give you the gist of it. So this was an email sent out by a public university uh, to uh, incoming resident assistants that were going to be, you know, helping out with the dorms and and the student life of of the college. And it was was informing them about this bias training that they were going to be going through. And it mentions in there that there were going to be some breakout sessions where they were going to segregate the whites from the people of color. That's what they refer to them as, such as blacks, uh, browns, Indians, indigenous, whatever you want to, to lump into that. Basically, anyone that's not white would be a POC or a, or a person of color is the, is the terminology. And this is talking about how they were going to separate them into different groups for specific training about race relations and identity bias and so forth. There's another slide about an article from the city of Seattle 
and this is relating to you know, the, the city of Seattle in terms of their workers, their employees. And it says, it held segregated training session for white staff aimed at, quote, undoing their whiteness. And it told them not to take undeserved promotions to be better allies for racial justice. So this is at the city level. And then another university, New York University, NYU, this is a headline of another article. A student group was demanding that there would be black-only student housing on campus. And this is not the segregation of the 1960s as if we want to give the black students the, the, you know, the lesser housing or, or segregate them from... For the, for the benefit of the white students, this is actually more directed towards the benefit of the black students. And if you read stuff like this, you'll find that they're, it's all about promoting the, the black community and the black culture, culture and really kind of getting rid of the white influences on that culture. And so what these last three slides depict, in addition to the Gallup poll, is that uh, this is becoming... A big issue, and it has ramifications for our lives. Now, I will say this: that okay, if you stay in a, you know, I mean, by staying, like you continue to live in a conservative city like Prattville, where it is a very conservative environment, and let's say you go and work in in the trades or small business, or you become an entrepreneur, there is a good chance that you may not encounter this very much, maybe not at all, at least for the time being. There is a good chance. But if you are going to go to a larger university, even Alabama or Auburn, even just even a smaller secular university, if you're going to go work in a larger corporate environment or you're going to work for a government entity, such as maybe for a city like the city of Seattle or even the military, and I can speak firsthand that this racial justice uh, issue is very much being actively promoted and talked about in the military. And so if you are going to find yourself in those environments, there is almost a guaranteed chance that you will encounter this issue at some point. And you may very well find yourself in one of these segregated trainings about this topic. So it's important to talk about and also to emphasize the importance of talking about this topic as well as topics like it. I do want to turn our attention to the book of Colossians. So if you're in your Bible, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. And, and this passage is going to help us see the importance of studying topics like this from a biblical perspective. So Colossians 2, verses 6 to 8. And God speaks through Paul and says, Therefore, as you, were, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, 
rather than according to Christ. Now, as I mentioned in our teachings on economics, communist theory, when we did that two-parter, the debate and conversation over topics like this is more than just a political exercise. It's more than just an academic exercise. These issues and the debates over these issues ultimately represent a battle of religion and worldview. And we saw that when we talked about communism, about the atheistic worldview behind it. Well, even for an issue like racial justice, it's no different. And even the articles that we read about or those slides that we saw at the beginning, those reflect a particular worldview and really we could say even a religious view about these issues. And, and, and what we could say is this, that what you believe about these topics is a reflection about what you believe about God, what you believe about mankind, and what you believe about the world at large and how the world functions. What this passage in Colossians also shows us is that there are two sides to, we could say two sides in the battle of truth. There's only two sides. There's no middle ground, two sides. One side is Jesus Christ and the truth that he represents and that he teaches throughout his scripture. That's one side. The other side is the side of worldly philosophy or the side of the traditions, the teaching of men that, and really of men and people, men and women, who do not follow the triune God of Scripture, who do not even believe in that God. That is the other side when we're talking about any issue of truth. And finally, what we also see in this passage is that for all of us who are rooted in Christ and who believe in Christ and follow Christ, we must protect ourselves from being deceived and captivated by the philosophy of the world. We're commanded to. And this is a philosophy which the majority of institutions and people in this world do, do promote. Right? Narrow is the path that leads to life. Few will find it. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. And many will find that path. So if you're on the side of truth, you're in the minority and need to understand that. And if you're in that minority, you need to understand that you have to prepare, prepare your mind for battle. Because if you're not rooted in Christ, but let's say you're on the fence, and you do get captivated by these empty world philosophies, it can literally lead you to spiritual destruction and ultimately judgment. If you are a believer, you don't face judgment You'll never lose your faith. God will secure your faith for forever. But if you get captivated, even to a small degree, to some of these world philosophies, it can affect and diminish your fruitfulness for Christ and for the gospel. So this is, this is important to study and, and primarily to study it from a biblical perspective. So, with that being said, let's now turn to this topic of racial justice and racism specifically. Now, I want to offer you a, just a, as a matter of 
foundation to, to a, offer you a basic definition of racism. And this definition is a definition that I think we're all going to understand and really has been the definition that has been widely understood as racism for decades. Now, it's, gonna, it's changing, and we're going to get into that. But let me give you what we could say is the standard historical definition of racism. And that's this. So listen closely. Racism could be defined as prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized. Now, I just pulled this right off of Google. This was the first definition that came up. But prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism towards people or groups of people on the basis of ethnic identity, national identity, or racial identity. That's the standard definition. And with this definition in mind, we could ask two simple questions. Okay, two simple questions that we're going to ask and answer in this first part of the message tonight. And that is this one, is racism an issue in this world? Is racism an issue? And then two, what does the Bible have to say about it? So in this first part of the message tonight, let's answer these questions. Now, regarding the first question, is racism an issue in this world? The simple answer to this question is yes. Racism is an issue. And what do I mean by that? Well, since mankind was divided into different nations and tribes and languages following the Tower of Babel incident, humanity has demonstrated a tendency towards tribalism, or preference for their own tribe, discrimination, um, and antagonism on the basis of racial and ethnic lines. We've seen that. We could, of course, look at modern examples, right? We have, even in this country, okay, the Jim Crow era, with Jim Crow laws and legislation where you had this kind of institutionalized uh, racial prejudice and segregation that in some cases was strictly enforced by law. Obviously, you have the history of slavery and all of the, the symptoms that came from that. But what I want to show you tonight is that even in the Bible, the Bible acknowledges this and demonstrates examples of this as well, right? Ultimately, we want to see that the Bible does address this issue. So the first example, well, really the main example I want to show you is in Judges chapter 12. Judges chapter 12, and this is going to be in verses 5 to 7. And just for some context as you're turning there, in Judges 12, verses 5 to 7, the, the book of Judges covers a period of time in Israel's history where th things were just lawless. All the people of Israel were doing what they wanted, there's a common phrase that there was no king in the land and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, okay? It was, it was a horrible time in Israel's history. And there's one point, which is what this passage is addressing, where two tribes of Israel, the Gileadites and the Ephraimites, two different tribes, were at war with one another. They had a dispute 
and they went to war. And here, starting in verse 5, it says, The Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan opposite Ephraim. And it happened when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, Let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, Are you an Ephraimite? If he said no, they would say to him, Say now Shibboleth. But he said Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it correctly. Then they seized him and slew him at the fords of the Jordan. Thus there fell at that time 42,000 of Ephraim. Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. So what's going on here is the tribe of Gilead, the tribe of Ephraim, they're having a dispute. And what the Gileadites are doing, they set up basically a checkpoint at a a key crossing that all the fugitives of Ephraim were, were, were coming to. And they tested them. And they tested them on an issue of dialect. So for, for the, the, the Gileadites, this tribe, they pronounce the sh, you know, the, the S-H. And the, Ephraim, the Ephraimites, they pronounced it just with, the, with the s, just the S. And so from that small difference in dialect, they could distinguish if you're part of our tribe or not. And if they found out that you are part of the tribe of Ephraim, then you were, you were killed. And 42,000 were killed. And that was the only distinguishing thing. These people were brothers. They were relatives. They had the same skin color. And yet, this is an example of that tribalism being carried out in this, in this, we could say, prejudice to the point of even wholesale murder and execution of thousands of people. So this is one example in, in Scripture where this is at play. Also, we see from Scripture, in addition to this example, that the Bible is also clear that people in general are prone to partiality and prejudice. And this includes all of us. For example, you don't have to turn there, but in Proverbs 14, verse 20, it'll be up on the screen, Proverbs 14, verse 20, here it says, The poor is hated even by his neighbor, but those who love the rich are many. And what this proverb is basically telling us is that if you have money and if you display that money, everybody's going to want to be your friend. Everyone's going to want to hang out with you, associate with you, identify with you because you have money. But the poor person who's known to be poor, they're going to have a hard time finding friends that really, that really care to be with them or around them. And this is an example and a principle that, that speaks to this issue of partiality. Now here in Proverbs, the issue is, is the perception of wealth and the appearance of wealth, but the principle applies to both wealth or even racial issues. And, and we can say that whether it's racial or wealth, people are prone to show partiality. And by partiality, I'm basically just talking about favoritism. That you're showing favoritism towards somebody else. And, and people are prone to do this to other people that they either identify with or want to identify with. This is, this is human nature. And this is true even regarding perceptions towards different racial or social groups. Now we can turn to the question, okay, well then what does the Bible say about this? What is the Bible? Can we know that this is a reality biblically? 
It was a reality in Israel's history. We know that humans are, are prone to showing favoritism and partiality. Well, what does Scripture say about it? Well, there is probably the main passage, at least in the New Testament, that addresses this is found in James chapter 2. So if you want to turn there, James chapter 2, we're going to look at several verses that speak to this. And we'll start in verse 1. And here God, speaking through James, says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and you say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? And then looking down in verse 8, James continues, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So in other words, to show partiality, to show favoritism, is to violate the second greatest commandment in Scripture, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, which we all are prone to do, and which, honestly, we're all guilty of doing at some point, but when we do that, we are guilty of sin and guilty of violating the second greatest commandment. And so applying this to the topic of race, we can confidently say from Scripture that any form of racial prejudice, any form of racial partiality is sinful. And it doesn't matter where that's coming from, whether it's whites towards blacks or blacks towards whites or blacks towards browns or whatever it is, any racial prejudice is sinful. And in the eyes of God, it's all going to be judged the same. But now, this does bring us to the modern racial justice movement. And as we're going to see, there's some key differences between everything I just covered and the modern racial justice movement, which was reflected in some of the articles and stories that we talked about in the beginning. In fact... If a advocate, one of these racial justice warriors or champions, advocates, were to hear everything that I just presented, they would actually probably take issue with what I said. And not that they would necessarily disagree with everything that I said, but here's what I suspect. For somebody in that camp to listen to what I just said, they might think that if I just left it there, that I'm being overly simplistic about racism, and they may think, very likely, that I'm either ignorant or dismissive of the real issues behind racial justice. This is, this would, I'm, this is what I would suspect a charge would be against, against me. And why, and why do I say this, and what do I mean by everything I'm saying? Well, let's turn now, in our final 10 or 12 minutes, to really kind of an introduction to the problem 
and dif- well, the differences and the problems of the modern racial justice movement, which is the, the philosophy and the movement that you will encounter if you go into big universities or large corporate environments. And perhaps the biggest definition or the biggest difference, I put the cart before the horse there, the biggest difference is definition. Definition of racism specifically. And this is a a huge difference between this movement and biblical Christianity's view on racism, which I just outlined uh, in the beginning of of this message. So this is how the modern racial justice movement defines racism, okay? And pay attention to this and see if you can, can kind of notice some of the differences. So here's a, here's a series of quotes from a man named uh, Ibram X. Kendi. He is a, a leading uh, racial justice advocate. He makes big money doing trainings and speeches um, all over the United States at various universities, corporations. And he wrote a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist, This is one of his books. And here's what he says about, here's his definition of racism. He says, racism is a marriage of racist racist policies and racist ideas that produces and normalizes racial inequities. And then he defines racial inequity as this. He says, racial inequity is when two or more racial groups are not standing on approximately equal footing. Now, if you're you're paying attention to this, here's an observation we can make, that according to Ibram here, racism, it does not equal racist ideas alone. Right? He says that racism is racist ideas plus racist policies that produce racial inequity. In other words, if we were to kind of summarize this down to the essence of what he's saying, he's basically saying that racism is the promotion or normalization of racial inequity. And if we were to apply his definition to people, we could say, he would say this, that a person is racist when they contribute to or promote racial inequity. And, and this is interesting. In fact, uh, there was, um, when I was a chaplain intern at Duke University Hospital, it was just for one summer, I had one of my fellow chaplain interns was a black gentleman, um, professing Christian, and we were having a, a conversation about this, and he actually told me that black people cannot be racist. He told me that. He said they can be prejudiced, but they can't be racist, because to him, and also to Ibram here, Racism is more than just prejudice. Racism is contributing to racial inequity. And in his view, and in others that follow this this line of thinking, racial minorities like black people, they cannot be contributing to racial inequity because they're in a position of minority and a position of disadvantage. It's, It's the white people that are the people in power. Therefore, only the white people can be contributing to this racial inequity. This is the line of thinking. Now, what's critical to understand here, and I want to dive into this idea of racial inequity a little bit more, and what's, what's really critical to understand is that in the mind of the modern racial justice advocate like Ibram that we just, we just read from, racial inequity 
is not measured by the treatment of one race by another. It's not measured by racial prejudice. In their mind, racial inequity is measured and determined by racial outcomes, such as economic outcomes, education outcomes, even health outcomes. In fact, let's look at one example, and this is from the CDC, the, the Center of Disease, of, uh, oh, geez, Center Disease Control. Okay, I just exposed myself. All right. Centers of Disease Control, they're applying this understanding of racial inequity to the topic of health. And, and here's what they say, and I've distilled this into um, basically the meat of what they're saying. It says this, racism is a system, and I pulled this from their website, racism is a system consisting of structures, policies, practices, and norms that assigns value and determines opportunity based on the way people look or the color of their skin. This results in conditions that unfairly advantage some and disadvantage others throughout society. These conditions are key drivers of health inequities within communities of color, placing those within these populations at greater risk for poor health outcomes. So you see this here, that inequity is equated with outcome. And it's believed that the social conditions, which are created by racism, is what contributes to those different outcomes. Now, why this is important to understand, okay, why this definition of racism is important to understand is because this definition of racism determines this movement's goals and objectives. It determines their goals and objectives. And when you study the beliefs and statements from advocates of the modern racial justice movement, what you find is that the goal is ultimately not to remove or eliminate racial prejudice. That's not the goal. The ultimate goal of these people and these movements is to eliminate unequal racial outcomes. It's to eliminate unequal outcomes. I have a quote from a book on social justice written by an author by the name of Leanne Bell, I believe, is one of the authors here. And this is a quote from her in this book. And, and here it says, the goal of social justice is full and equal participation of all groups in a society that is mutually shaped to meet their needs. Now, here's the important part. This is the part to focus on. Social justice includes a vision of society in which the distribu distribution of resources is equitable. All right, sounds a little bit like communism, right? Okay, there's some, there's some connections there. In fact, and, and here's, here's something that's really interesting. For the advocates of this movement, racial prejudice is actually considered acceptable and sometimes even preferable if it leads to equal outcomes. So hear me again. For, these, for this movement, they will actually promote racial prejudice if it means equal outcomes, if it leads to equal outcomes. Here's some examples. So this is our, our friend Ibram uh, X. Kendi is back on the, on the stage. This is an interview 
that was done by Alliance for Early Success, talking about like childhood education and stuff. And they were interviewing Mr. Kendi. And uh, they're quoting him as saying this. I'm just going to read from, from the article. It says, feelings advocacy, or quote-unquote feelings advocacy, Kendi says, distracts advocates and organizers with a focus on racist behavior. When we call out racist behavior or join a demonstration, he says, we feel better, but feeling better isn't change. And then they quote him as saying, the opposite of feelings advocacy is outcomes advocacy. And then it's saying, he basically summarizes, I'm not going home until something changes. Now, when asked if that even means abiding or indulging racist behavior and attitudes, if it leads to winning an anti-racist policy, Kendi answered with a definitive yes. I want things to change for millions of people, millions of children, as opposed to trying to change one individual person. End quote. Okay? Here's another interesting quote from a small university called Brandeis University. I believe they're in Massachusetts. And here they're defining equity. And in that definition, they say this. It says, quote, quote unquote, equity is often conflated with the term equality, which means sameness and assumes incorrectly that we have all had equal access, treatment, and outcomes. In fact, true equity implies that an individual may need to experience or receive something different or not equal in order to maintain fairness and access. In other words, let me explain what they mean by this. If they were to read James 2, which we read earlier, what they would say, people that believe this, what they would say is that, yes, do not show partiality to the rich man. Do not put him in the place of honor. Instead, show partiality to the poor man. Put the poor man in the place of of honor and put the rich man to the side or at the footstool. Reverse it. Or applying into the racial issue, they would say, actually, we need to give preferential treatment to minorities who have been oppressed or who have been discriminated in the past in order to kind of catch them up with the whites or the other majority that have been receiving preferential treatment. It's kind of a, res- a reverse discrimination if we think of it that way. So as we kind of see this, this mindset and this understanding from the modern racial justice movement, we can ask one more question, and maybe the biggest question we must ask is this. Is this view of racial justice biblically justified, and does it match up with the Bible's definition of justice? And the simple answer to that is no. And I want us to look at one passage. Don't turn there. We'll put it up on the screen. Leviticus 19.15. And you'll see what I mean by this. Leviticus 19.15. Scripture says, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. In other words, true justice is no partiality at all. Not to the rich or the poor. It doesn't matter if somebody's been oppressed or discriminated against. 
for hundreds of years. In that moment, God expects you to be fair regardless. If a person has committed a crime, whether they're poor or rich, they're to be judged the same. This is true justice. Also, and and we're coming to the end here, against the opinion of Ibram X. Kendi and those like him, God never dismisses the individual, nor does he ever show more concern for the masses than he does the individual. There's one more passage I want us to look at, and that's Matthew 18, verses 12 to 14. Matthew 18, verses 12 to 14. And this just shows an example of this. Jesus says, What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the the 99 which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Not one. God cares about no partiality, fairness between all groups, and he does care about the heart of the individual. And if a person is going astray, he wants to see that person come to salvation and come to faith in him. And he cares about it. He never neglects that. So he never neglects, he never condones racial prejudice or ever justifies it in order to achieve some kind of equal outcome. So as we conclude, let's summarize and just say a few things. One, all of us are tempted to show partiality and favoritism. We've established that. And all of us are going to be guilty at some point in our life of showing favoritism and partiality, no matter your skin color, no matter your ethnicity or your background. We can also say that God is concerned about partiality and prejudice, and he wants to see his people treating all people with dignity and fairness. However, here's the third thing we can say, in striving to stand against racism in our lives and in the environment that God has placed us, we must be careful that we don't invent our own definitions of racism or promote unbiblical views of justice. We need to stay true to Scripture. And next week, we are going to dive a little bit deeper and look into some of the core or some of the big assumptions and beliefs in the modern racial justice movement and see how that applies to Scripture, how that relates to Scripture, and what we can learn. Uh, from Scripture as a result. But let us pray, and in the meantime, we will be dismissed, and, and we'll, that will have to wait till next week. So let us pray. Uh, Lord God, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to study this topic and to study uh, the truth of your Scripture and of your Word, Lord. We just pray that this would be beneficial to all of us, that, that we would be able to train ourselves in discernment, Lord, and protect ourselves from the worldly philosophy that we encounter, Lord, and and the deceptions of that philosophy. Lord, help us be truly just and fair according to your word and your standard. Lord, if there is any racism or prejudice of any kind, whether it's directed towards money or looks or skin color 
or whatever it may be, Lord, that we would always remember to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, Lord, and to fulfill that commandment. Lord, I pray for all of these students and the adults here that you would just be with them through the rest of this week and that you would continue to bless us and provide for us in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student.